PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Hey, Mud. Hey. How are you going? Um, all right. Um, I was going to talk about that BPD, NPD attraction. Um, how does it feel from your end? To an extent, there's like a complimentary thing there. I, I, I would say it's even more so like just codependent draw to narcissism, um, like that type of thing. And what's the appeal? Can you even say what's the appeal? You know, it's a complimentary of, externalization. Yeah, you in you. What's the appeal of someone who is complimentary? What what about them is appealing? Um. So the draw is really it happens with like just a little bit of eye contact, and then it's like somehow I just know that like this person is mine. And um, the draw, what are, what are the qualities that you like? Like, do you? Um, do you know there's something where you go, wow, I really like this about this person? Yeah, I like uh, I like subs. Um, what like, do you like about them? What's the appeal? Uh, I like um, to, you know, like be, be mean to them and like have them in like leashes and like collars and like um, hurt them and, and stuff. Yeah. So... When you look at someone like that, you go, this person is going to allow me to dominate them. Um, that's that's the appeal. Do they have any personal qualities where you go, that's really cute or appealing or endearing or anything? Yeah. Basically, if they get, like, happy when I'm mean to them, um, that, that's pretty cute. Um. <laughs> really? Why is that cute? Because uh, it feels like... They are um, happy just just being used, <laughs> and that that's moving emotionally somehow. They, they, yeah, like it's like very um, low responsibility. Like, and way? I don't have to like worry. I don't have to like worry about like hurting them because they're just gonna like it. Oh, would it be that you would be worried normally with a person, but then with someone like that, you go, I know I can let this side out and it doesn't matter? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they still understand you? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I was thinking about it from my side is the people have seemed, um, what's the word, just um, mysterious, cool. Uh which is like that is really nice because if I feel emotional, if someone's cool, it is really calming. It Like it cools yeah. me down. It's just a relief. 
um, and uh, what's the word? Organized. They've seemed strong and organized and confident to me. Yeah, when people have too much of an empathetic reaction and they start freaking out because you're freaking out, that that's like probably like not very fun. It probably makes you feel bad for having emotions and stuff because you're like having that big of an effect on them. Like, okay, so if other people get emotional, when you get emotional, you feel bad. I'm saying if you like, because you have you would say like intense emotions. Right. And if somebody is like freaking out because you're freaking out, that probably feels bad. And you probably yeah. feel bad for freaking out because you're like, yeah. Oh, well, now I'm making them freak out too. I'm like the worst. Like, yeah, it's the, annoying. like, yeah. And if they're more distant, there's more space to be emotional. Cause you just kind of can go blah. Yeah, it's more emotional space. If they, yeah. If they just like, don't care also. Mm, yeah, if they're not bothered, do you mean, or don't care about me? Well, not necessarily don't care about you, but don't care not that you, it's like, the way I put it, it's like, I don't necessarily care if somebody hurts, but I do care about their well-being. If I think you're fine, even though you're hurting, I'm just not going to be bothered. Okay. Like, yeah, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was thinking too about being flustered as well. Because oh, I can, yeah, yeah. yeah, flustered and overwhelmed. And then if there's someone who's cool, calm and collected, it is such a relief to me. Oh, yeah. No, but I intentionally will make you flustered and stuff like that. Like that's kind of like a, a thing that I would do just because it's cute. Now, how would you do that? Uh, uh, just really um, sudden and intense things uh, in like inappropriate situations that are like discreet or something like just whatever. Like Okay. But would you reveal that this is your technique or would you just go, I'm just going to torment this poor person? Well, I'm adaptive. Like I don't have like a, a set technique here. Do you have that thing of um, being bored and going, I'm going to stir this person up just to see what's going on? Uh, I usually don't do that consciously, but I do do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about the um, behavior patterns that settle in? Like if, have you had, so when you've had relationships with people like this, what's, how does it go? What kind of um, behaviors and patterns do you find coming? Um, so after like a certain period of time, I start to get like bored. And then the other one, the other person starts to get kind of like clingy and anxious. And mm-hmm. then I get really annoyed that they're being anxious. And, uh, it kind of pushes me away and then they kind of cling and then it's like, uh, I just get like really irritated and pissed off at the person. So initially you would have liked them because they were clingy? Yeah. <laughs> what is... It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And I know I've got such a trigger of the person moving away and me being that one who's always pursuing. It is such, uh, it's like such a pressure. It's no, so it compulsive. Losing. What do you so, mean? It just feels like the other person's like in that position of power and they're like winning over you. Yeah. And then they're going, going, going. Yeah. And then I was thinking about that and I thought, is that a role within a family? I mean, it's like inherently the child role in a sense. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Though a child shouldn't have to be doing that, should they? All the time. But if a parent feels insecure and they want to, you know, have a child that has to 
pursue them, it makes them feel extra wanted, you know? So it's like... Yeah. I was thinking about it in terms of maybe you're like, I was embodying hopefulness or wanting, and then if I did that, others didn't have to. Oh, okay. Like neediness. Yeah, neediness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that sort of like childish uh, admiration and idealization. Yeah, Yeah. and being needy, like being stuck in that feeling of wanting someone and never getting them. Yeah, that that yeah. real longing, yeah, that, that shit sucks. It really – oh, wait, what? You feel it too? <laughs> yeah. How? Tell me how. Uh, what do you mean by how? Like, but you're leaving and yet you're saying you still feel it. Well, no, if I'm leaving, I'm probably not feeling it then because I'm externalizing it, like, you know? Yeah, because, like, I'm thinking when I had my – um break down and end up in hospital and got diagnosed, I was in a close relationship with someone narcissistic. Um, and yeah, it was like she really invited me to idealize her. She had a routine. It was really interesting. She had a routine and I was like, wow, this girl is really amazing. We're going to be best friends. And we were really good friends. And we even um, shared a flat. And then, yeah, after a while, she drew away and I was really destabilized because I'd become dependent on her. But then I thought, why did she do that then? Probably because she she... felt dependent on you. Oh. That's kind of like a terrifying thing. Um, And there's also a chance that you were subconsciously pushing her away because you felt dependent and that's terrifying for you. Well, she was the, um, afterwards I thought she was the child of a single mom and I thought maybe her mom leaned on her and I just, you know, she was repeating because by the time um, that friendship finished and I left that flat, she was already grooming someone else. It was really weird. Yep, totally grooming like, oh, here's this that I did and, you know, these photos of what I did and I really am. And I'm like, fuck, it's exactly what she did to me like presenting that side of herself um, well, that was not. luring to the person. Yeah, but it's also like what everyone does. They present their good side. Probably not quite so in such a formulaic way. Like it was really this is me and here is my portfolio of things and I'm like this and I'm like, wow, these were exactly the same lines you used on me. Yeah, I had scripts and stuff like for like sexual interactions like i i had this down like okay and you kept repeating them yeah they would like change over time slightly they would like evolve but like the changes you know were like oh that didn't work as well or this worked better like i'm gonna you know change it a little bit and then so was it just for um like a temporary sexual thing and then you were happy to keep reusing the script um well like the script is was like if i was gonna initiate like sex with somebody it was like how to talk about it and like do it in a way that's gonna make them feel like comfortable and like i don't know they're gonna like respect me like because it seems like i'm experienced because i because i was i guess and like was like doing like i don't know it's like a way to take charge i guess yeah Uh, mm. and that's when you feel safe um sometimes yeah like uh, I don't know if I feel safe per se because it's more like I feel safe if uh, 
a sexual relationship is more like casual. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So you had a script and you were using it for temporary sexual relationships. Yeah, for like hookups and stuff. Yeah. Okay. But not for friendships and stuff? Well, yeah. But like not like, I mean, sometimes for relationships, but like I never really started with the expectation that there would be a relationship necessarily. Like, oh, okay. So you'd have a sexual relationship and then think, you know, sometimes you'd find it'd go on into a relationship. Yeah. Like, usually people would get really into me and then I would sort of be like, I would reciprocate a lot of, like, I, I had a really reciprocal sort of like form of attraction. And it's like, if somebody was really into me, I thought that was like attractive. Okay. Oh, so if they got to know you and they became more into you, then you became more attracted to them? Yeah. It's just by nature of them being attracted to me. Like, okay. And, I and can then tell really easily, like, like, it just takes like a little bit of like eye contact and I can just be like, oh, yeah, this person's going to be into me. Oh. So you can pick who will go on and really develop into something? Yeah. And that was the only script that you had then? No, I mean, I had other things because I was doing like my other like organizing work or political stuff. And like there was always job stuff I had to deal with. And and, yeah, I had all like types of scripts. Like You were pre-planning conversations? Yeah. Yeah. I think I do too. Like if I ruminate on them. Well, I just didn't want to have to pay attention a lot of times to like everything that was going on. It's like if you have the script, you don't have to like think so hard. Okay. You're like pre-prepared. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. All right. So I should get back to that um, type of relationship. So someone, you start pulling away and they become more frantic and then what happens? Yeah, I find that really annoying. And then they do really stupid, desperate, annoying shit to like, um, cause they're upset and, and they, they're losing control. And then I'm like, wow, uh, I'm going to break up with you. And like, you do. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm just like, not at that point, but I'm like, Hey, we need to like do something. I would always make it like their problem. I'm noticing in the, in the past, I was just like, wow, you have like some serious issues, but I'll like, you know, like, well, we can try and like work on them together. or like, whatever. Like I'm, I'm realizing it was pretty shitty. Um, so you were always saying they had the issues. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Yeah. And I'm the opposite. I'd be going, oh, what have I done? What did I do? And it's so automatic too. Yeah. It, you- it was weird. There was a few relationships where like I um, like would take on a different role or whatever. And that was always diff. Like I didn't like that. Um, In what way? How was it? It felt like the tables were turned. Yeah. And why was that bad? Because then I'm in the weaker or like more like I'm in the position of feeling helpless and like I, I hate that and I mean everyone hates that like and so what happened did you just break it off when you realized it was going that way no uh not unless I so it, like I never was like single for like basically my entire adult life um and I wouldn't break up with somebody unless I had an alternative <laughs> yeah I wasn't single very often either I have to say <laughs> It was pretty fucking awful being single. Did you experience that? I didn't experience that until, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, I haven't really gone through periods of being single very much. Um, it's pretty hard, I found anyway. It was hard to be stable and steady. Yeah, I don't think I would be able to do that. Like, uh, yeah, I would find somebody. 
I would just absolutely find somebody. Mm-hmm. But they would cling to you and not the other way around. I don't know, because if I'm if I'm desperate, like they might actually be able to leverage that. Not I would hate that. Like, <laughs> mm. yeah, I don't even know how I'd go nowadays being single. Yeah, it's a uh, it's not easy when you aren't whole, right? Like you have to be be like conjoined with at certain extent. It's like I would rather prefer having options. Like I. That was sort of like why I like polyamory or whatever is because, well, first of all, I, I cheated in all my high school relationships. And so I sort of figured that that was like not really going to work going forward. And then I um, was like, yeah, I was polyamorous after that. And that, that worked all right. And then it was like, I didn't have to feel dependent on any one person. But yeah, I know what I you mean. Worried if I was living with somebody, especially like, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that shit sucks. It sucks. Independent, what? yeah. Mm-hmm. So have you ever been dependent, do you reckon? I mean, I, I would say I've been dependent my whole life, in a sense. I mean, every cluster B person, every personality disorder person is dependent in a way, codependent. Yeah, I can feel that bit of me that really wants to um, latch on and maybe hopefully go through the growing, but I don't know if I can. Or the individuating, right? Like, yeah, separation and individuation. Yeah, but I think that's always what I was trying to like do. Is is like I would, you know, attach, and then it's like, all right, now I need to separate and you know be like my own, whatever. And then they would start clinging, and and it's like, yeah, we couldn't we couldn't do the separation because they would feel like they needed me, and it's probably reenactment, right? Like, because because my mom didn't handle me separating very well in what way um literally like mourned me like i, I died wait what like like at one point my mom said that it felt like she had lost her child at what age i was like 23 and she it felt was, she lost you then yeah it was because i wasn't doing the things with my life that she wanted me to be doing yeah i think that can be hard yeah, it's like I was still alive, right? Um, mm. That was weird, and also it's like she wasn't grieving me, right? She was grieving this fantasy of of me that she had that she was trying to make me fit into her whole my whole life, right? Like, and she still has it to to a big extent and wants to try and push me into it, and it's it's pretty um, frustrating. So, what would you rather she saw then? Well, I mean, I think people. All children would rather their parents see them for who they are rather than who they want them to be. Mm-hmm. And who are you that you want her to see? Um, I mean, for a long time, I just wanted her to see me at all. I guess I felt pretty invisible. And it's like... What made I, you feel invisible? Um, I mean, there was just like a period of time where I, I withdrew completely from my mom and just cut her off emotionally and she just seemed to not care how long did that last for it's still going Mm. how long ago did it start i I was like nine i think maybe a little younger oh so you feel you pulled away from her then and you're still not connected i mean the connection was always like strange it wasn't ever like a very like it was a very unstable connection always and then Eventually, I just like decided I was done with it because it was like 
too much of an emotional roller coaster if I was going to be like invested in it. So I, I just withdrew. Yeah. And part of you wish that she would try and connect? Um, I, I wanted her to care. Yeah. Mm. I know what you mean. Yeah. I didn't really expect that she just would be okay with it for like the rest of my life, in a sense. Oh, okay. So, as long as I wasn't deviating from her fantasy too much, right? Like, yeah. So you pulled away a long time ago, and you feel like she still hasn't noticed and I doesn't mean, care enough because she grieved me at that one point. But she's still trying to pretend like, yeah, like that's not the truth, right? Like, mm. yeah, that is hard. Oh, I'm thinking about it as a as a daughter and as a mum. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, difficult. Mm. Yeah, I guess you just got to be happy with the person in front of you, I suppose. Well, certainly don't act like they're dead. Does she really? No, but for a while. And she would uh, just do incredibly, like, dramatic and, like, somewhat violent things, like, just try and show uh, show up in my workplace or at my like um apartment or something just like screaming like wow yeah that was a that was a bunch of bullshit so she's very volatile yeah yeah so hence the pulling back i guess yeah yeah hmm yeah, i was more colder and stabler um I was often like an anchor, I guess, for people in a way, because like I would be able to be calm in like a lot of situations. How did you become calm or how did you find it, that calmness? Oh, you just uh, dissociate. Okay. Like, how else, like, you know, you can't be calm in in a dangerous world otherwise. So you just sort of switched yourself off? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just sort of died. How long ago, like, what age were you when you feel that happened? I was, like, okay, so I was in, let me think. I was, like, 10 or or maybe a little younger. Um, I can't really remember for sure. But you, you're aware of that feeling from about that age? Yeah, yeah, at least that age. And what happened after that? Uh, I don't remember very, very much of my childhood, like, to be frank. Um, so... Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. Do you remember your childhood very well? I don't think about it that much, to be honest. I probably do. Because mm. it's like, you know, the reference for all of your, like, experiences. You're, it's your oldest memories, so they're your strongest memories in a way, because they're, they're the memories you've probably referred to the most. Yeah, they're certainly intense. So... You've uh, you've got a lot of what's what's the word? Um, your voice is sounding rather melancholic. Yeah, it's not. Um, I'm not peaking. That's for sure at the moment. Peaking. Yeah. Yeah, you're not at the top. You're 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 hitting a at a low point. Yeah. Well, you know how to turn that frown upside down, right? Like, I don't mean I don't mean to just be happy. I mean to just enjoy the the misery. Yeah, just get through it. No, no, relish in it. Like relish. Yeah. Tell me about the relish. I, I 
am assuming that you're doing it at some level on a subconscious level. Go on. But you could be doing it on a conscious level. Well, do I have to be happy all the time? You don't have to be. It's not necessarily happy either. I wouldn't call it happiness. <laughs> that's, that's uh, yeah. Mm. I would call it elation. Um, high. Yeah. yeah, I get that at times. And to me, I think grandiosity is euphoria, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's what grandiosity is, right? It's turning worthlessness into... <laughs> that just shows human ingenuity, doesn't it? Yeah, infantile ingenuity. It's still pretty good. It's it's yeah. It's better than nothing. It's a lot better than nothing. <laughs> well, you've talked to me a lot about nothingness, haven't you? And feeling nothingness. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's free. It's a very um intensely interesting experience in my in my opinion it's a uh, hard to hard to maintain it for long periods though so how long can you maintain it for yeah, until i end up um in the hospital or in jail that doesn't sound particularly good well it is very good until other people come and ruin it for you why is it good it's fun as hell why um literally not caring about anything and just like being free to like do whatever you want like like you wouldn't you, it's not a place that people ever go to voluntarily but once you get there uh it, it's based off of this um dissociative sort of like framework that we evolved as mammals um which is when you are at a certain point where you, you expect yourself to die you're at certain doom you've accepted that death is impending and then on its way it's like uh like if you got carried into a lion's den or whatever uh you get this sort of nirvana feeling it's like the uh Freud called it like the oceanic what like oneness feeling with everything and how long how long does that last for because that sounds like something that couldn't go on for very long it's a it's an emotional regression to the womb i think can it last longer than a couple of hours? Because it sounds oh, yeah. really. So how long? Yeah. How long? Your whole life, if you wanted to. But then you're not functioning. You're you're functioning. Yeah, you're functioning, but you're functioning at a crazy level. Yeah. So you'll which, function. Which yeah. means you're not able to like care for yourself. You can to an extent, but a lot of times you're going to be hurting yourself pretty badly. Um, and you're going to perceive it as other people hurting you in a sense, because you're going to be very paranoid. And um, yeah, like it's um, a feature of most like people with severe personality disorders is they, they, they live in this state at least part-time. Okay. How do they experience that other people are hurting them? What do you mean? Well, you said, I'm just thinking, you know, if people are trying to help, but you're saying with paranoia, it's experienced another way. Yeah, so, like, we don't have, like, uh, trust in other people because they've hurt us. And so even if though there's, like, a part of us that maybe wants to form some sort of connection, the other part of us remembers, like, what happened when you tried to do that and how, how it went. And so you end up sabotaging those connections before they can sort of form. Mm-hmm. But you perceive it as everyone just being out to get you, so to speak. Okay. And in a way, it's like they have to play the role that you're giving them. So it is like a mixture. 
You mean you're pushing them away and then they react and then you think, see, they really and are hostile or whatever? Yeah, it's like you push them into the role and then they accept the part and then you're like, well, like, I'm glad that I at least made it happen rather than it then pulling it on me like after I started to trust them or something. If, but I mean, to me, it sounds like you're describing psychosis, those states, and then people do need to look after you. Well, no, because most people with psychosis have nobody to look out for them. Like, that's the whole point is you are on your own. Hmm. But when they do, how is that? What's that like? When they have somebody taking care of them? Yeah. Well, people who are like psychotic have some of like the highest rates of like, uh, institutional abuse um and like neglect and stuff uh because nobody gives a shit about psychotic like patients and everyone acts out their countertransference feelings like like that's the thing is like we expect pe- like the number one countertransference feeling for people with mpd is hatred mm-hmm. if you need to split off like self-hatred you do that by making people hate you and then people will have that hatred and we want to see if they can contain that hatred without acting out aggression. Wait, 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 wait. You make them hate you and then you want them to not act on it? Yeah. You want them to hate you but not act on it? That, that, that's what would be ideal, right? Because like, that's what uh, an abused kid wants is somebody who can hate them safely. What is hating safely? It's, uh, it's remaining calm. Uh, not getting scared, not getting violent, um, not leaving, not, you know, blowing up. It's, it's like being able to reflect and then identify that the reason that you're feeling those feelings is because that's how they feel about either themselves or you. So what feelings are they having? Um, who's they in this case? Wait, wait, I'm, I'm confused. You said the person who is containing it hates the child but is yeah. able to not act on it. And then what goes through the feelings? Yeah, and can then uh, reflect on them and sort of figure out what it is, why the child needed them to contain those feelings. Oh, okay. What the child's dealing with, that way they can help that child take ownership of those feelings and process them in a safe way, right? Okay, so what you're looking for is someone who you can act out against and they feel the feelings from the acting out but then they can go through them with you and help you understand them is that correct identify them yeah and uh name them because naming is a really big part of containing them and identification and then yeah contain them safely so they have to remain calm because if they're not calm the attachment system deactivates okay and uh yeah like if you Look at kids from like very abusive households who are like in the foster care system. One of the common things that like foster like kids instill in their um, families is hatred. Um, and there's the, the reason for that is you want to feel like the reason you were abandoned, even though you, you CPS took you in this case or whatever, you still feel like you were abandoned and you weren't good enough. And that's why they, you know, had to do stuff that would make CPS come and take you away from them. Yeah, okay. So then you make them, yeah, you want to make them hate you, so then to process all that feeling of rejection. Yeah, and it helps you feel like you were in control of 
what happened to you. So it's like, oh, the reason that, you know, I was beat by my parents and then had to be taken away from them was because I wasn't good enough and because I'm, you know, terrible. Hey, and I, well, yeah. yeah. So, so I deserved it and stuff. So is there a hope of work, like being hated and hateful and then working through all that and then one day getting to a loving relationship? Yeah, if uh, somebody can contain their hate, their hatred, right, alongside their, like, love, like, without splitting, without falling apart, without, you know, becoming, um, acting out their feelings. And, and yeah, if they can be a safe container, then that will help the child feel like, you know, maybe there is something worthwhile about them. Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. Did you have other experiences with this sort of relationship dynamic? Because I, I don't have like a necessarily a preference for BPD. I, I had I was with all different types of cluster Bs, honestly. Like did you find though they were more clingy generally or or was it just the submissiveness? I mean, it was like I, I really did see a very wide variety of people. Um for me it was not necessarily that I needed submissiveness or clinginess so much as I just wanted attention in a sense, emotional attention and positive emotional attention. Oh, so how did you go about getting that? Like you knew that about yourself? Like I, I knew that I had like sort of needs. I, um, what did I, I said that I was like a weird type of extrovert or whatever is the way that I would tell people about it. Um, and like, I like after like I was in like social situations, it felt like I was like alive again and and stuff like that. Um, certain social situations, ones where it was like more one on one and stuff. Um, yeah, right. I would just sort of get people alone usually, and I was really good at like sex usually with that would like kind of get people to be really enamored with me, and then. Um, I would give them extremely intense, like, attention. And then... Like, what people would call love bombing. I I didn't really see it that way. It was just, like, this is, like, I could only think about this person for, like, a while. And then what happened? Then I get bored. Problems happen. Wait, and so which was the bit that made you feel alive? It was the being intense towards somebody? It wasn't the being in a group? It's it's the you know it's the uh, getting somebody to fall in love with me the seduction like that felt like the best. So was it the pursuit? Like it was. Yes. Yeah, so how would that go? I think it was the whole like game of seduction. I just I really loved being able to like flex my like sort of power um, so to speak. Okay. I liked so- how often I would I would almost never get rejected. Now it's just like that felt great. How long would it take before selecting someone and then getting them? What do you mean by how long? Yeah. Like, like, like between selecting and then also getting them? Yeah. Sometimes seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it felt pretty good. Um, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes I had to wait until, like, the first night. Like, mm-hmm. pretty much that that's how, how fast it would go. And then how long before you got bored? Usually it was about three months to sometimes as much as like a year. So it was the conquest. I remember yeah. having that. Yeah, I remember having that. Collecting kind of, yeah. Yeah, collecting. <laughs> totally, like having a list of names. I remember that. 
because no, I, I don't have as a list. Teenager, as a teenager, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of everybody I've like slept with, but it was more like having just a list, of, like a, a, as many people as I could, like options. I don't know, like I was yeah. I was dating like two and a half people on average at any given time. Okay, is half a person much use though? Yeah, um, that's kind of degrading, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they like it. So. No, like, uh, I just know, like, on average, like, it's just like, it was like two people at certain times or three people at certain times. Like, did they know about each other after high school? Yes. Did you ever do anything to make them jealous and competitive for you? Yes. How often? Uh, very often. Um, I was kind of bad about that. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't know. It it pushes people to like try harder. And when they tried harder, what did you feel? I felt great. Yeah. Like it was just like when they felt like they had to try harder or whatever, when we would have our interactions, they would just be like way more like, and plus they were like thinking about like what they wanted to do when we were away. And like, uh, it would be great if they were with somebody else too. Cause then it's like, I have a little bit of like jealousy feeling me. And then it's like, it pushes me to do more too. And I like, I like the sort of comp- competitive drive, like beating other people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can see that. Mm, jealousy is a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a beast. Yeah, it feels really bad when you can't have, like, that when it's envy to the point of, like, you feel like you can't have it. That's when it really starts to hurt. But if it's like, ooh, I'm, like, being pushed to, like, prove that, like, I'm going to win or whatever, but I'm, I'm like, jealous of their attention, but I, I know that I'm going to win in the long run, like, that felt good because I was usually right. Like, So you usually did win? Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Actually, an Italian told me a little bit of jealousy is nice. I think it's like built more into their romantic culture. I even think it's um, it's just part of like comp- competitive drive. Like it's, it's a part of being almost an animal. Like I, I think a lot of like the narcissistic emotions are like the emotions that most animals have. And then a lot of the social ones are like, more mammal specific so what do you see as the narcissistic emotions um envy uh fear anger uh power like just power like uh manipulation tool use just generally that's like a an intellectual sort of drive and then uh oh self-pity um (laughs) yeah (laughs) So what would be the non-narcissistic emotions then? Uh, so it would be like things like compassion, uh, love, um, guilt. Uh, guilt? Yeah. Guilt. Shame is a narcissistic one. Guilt is a social one. Um, yeah, that's true. So you you usually didn't feel guilt? No, I've, I've felt guilt very few times in my life. I would mistake like shame for guilt a lot but really it was shame that i was feeling um people get them mixed up a lot so how would you just yeah how would you describe the difference guilt doesn't last very long guilt is uh when you realize that you fucked up um so it would be like oh shit i completely misunderstood something and then like then you correct it and then you move on guilt results in like positive changes like you don't avoid usually and it's like a oh yeah i realized i misunderstood it's almost always based on you misunderstood something 
Okay. And then shame is what? Shame is based in exposure. So it's the feeling that you're being exposed for something bad or disgusting or, yeah, just in general, vulnerable. Yeah, something like that. And it's a very wide-reaching emotion. It encompasses a lot of different experiences. Can you think of many or any off the top of your head? Yeah, it's uh, associated with um, losing, submission, pain, weakness, helplessness, being small, um, longing, uh, envy, the very shameful thing. and. Uh, so you would feel shame in those situations. Oh, sadness is a is a social emotion. That was a good one. Uh, Why is that? Sadness is in like grief or feeling like sad for somebody. It's like a it's a very social emotion, um, and that it requires you to usually care about other people in a way. It's like self pity is like when you're like oh poor me and and sadness is like wow like that really um was a bad thing that happened to that person and i feel really bad or something do you get that much do you think no i don't see the point i I would have a lot of self-pity at times like it's kind of gross i don't really like to admit that but (laughs) it is it's not very dignified is it no (laughs) yeah it's pretty bad Hmm. What's the hardest emotion for you, do you think? The hardest? Envy. Yeah. I hate envy. Like, like that envy, that shit that, like, burns, like, when you fucking can't. Oh, God. I don't know. That, that shit makes me want to kill. What is something that you would be envious about that would make you feel that way? Um, everything. <laughs> like, it, it's really just, like, I'm always trying to stave off envy. To an extent. How do you do that? Delude yourself. Um, distract yourself, etc. It's like, it feels like the, the wound is full of envy in a way. Envy is this desire for something that you think you'll never be able to have, right? And so it's like, the ultimate envious wound is is for your parent that betrayed you. You'll, you're envious because you desire that love and you're longing for it. But you hate them. And you destroy that desire because it's too unbearable to deal with. So envy becomes hatred very often. I actually think that hatred and even to a certain extent, love are both um, two halves of the same coin being envy. So you think envy is the prime emotion? Yeah, it's the ambivalent one, right? So it includes both love and hate, but usually you split one of them off. So to deal with envy, sometimes you'll idealize. And and then love bomb or whatever, and that's a way to get the thing that you envy under control and to make it yours. That way, you don't have to worry about it not being yours, because then it'll become hatred. If you don't get it, yeah, and it's because once it, you don't, you think it's not under your control anymore, and it's not going to be yours. Then you quickly get terrified of like that feeling of unbearable envy and longing, and then you have to devalue it and destroy the the good object, and you split. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I think envy is behind almost all splitting, honestly. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I always thought of splitting as being um, denying uh, part of of what was there. Yeah, 
in a hopeful way and then and that was the whole history the whole history of my life for me yeah and then in a hopeful way sometimes like that's idealization and then then you deny it in a dismissive way with devaluation or a destructive way yeah it would be a destructive way for me yeah Mm. some of these things i don't like to look at yeah it's painful i think a lot of people they don't they like it would be a controversial idea but i've i've had a few people agree with me like the whole that love and hate both are derived from envy because most people they're really guarded against like negative feelings and so when they feel love they only feel like the positive end and then when the negative hits them they get really overwhelmed like very quickly you mean when people switch how they feel about somebody yeah like like because they can't most people can't contain the hatred and the love side by side yeah that's difficult yeah it's it's pretty like i don't i've i've like re-experienced some memories or whatever and like the 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 feelings from when you're a kid are so much more intense. Like, I don't know how you're supposed to contain that shit. You just can't. What do you remember feeling? Envy to the point of me wanting to absolutely kill. Just, like, unstoppable, like, rage. It was like, I, there's no hope for this person. I don't want them to live. I don't care what, like, I'm not ever going to forgive them, like, type of shit. Like, I'm going to hunt them down to the ends of the earth. Uh <laughs> So you remember feeling that way about somebody? Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. It's it's pretty um it's like when you've given up everything, you've even offered your life to somebody and then they still like slap it away. It's like yeah, there's nothing left to do but just kill like I don't know. Yeah. Probably that you have those feelings somewhere. Yeah, I was just thinking how do people who resolve that resolve it? Good question. Uh, you have to empathize with the person who you were longing for, and then you can sort of integrate those two experiences that would previously have just been too unbearable. And we usually do that because we disown, well, especially with like people with like a reaction formation, like um, you disown that child or whatever, and you end up becoming your parents. And then once mm-hmm. you're able to put that together, you can reflect and then empathize with like, oh, shit, now I know why they did what they did. Of course, becoming a parent also does that to an extent. Right. And that's usually when most people will have those feelings is they'll re-experience them when they go through the same thing. Mm, uh, at the same see, age. Yeah. You see a, a child that looks just like you and you start reenacting things like same age, same same thing. Shit will happen. Like it's it's pretty interesting how how much it will just go. Like I feel like it's almost by design by evolution, right? It's like, well, how do you know that you'll know how to raise a kid? Well, you'll just rely on your emotional memories from those times that you don't even remember. But then they just sort of kick in like instinct. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It's just all there, laid down. It's programmed into you in those early years, what you're doing is you're role reversing, right? Like, so you, you tend to do it the way that you, was done to you. And it's really hard not to. Yeah. Especially cause it's pre-conscious memories. And those are like, when, when they're before your consciousness, they're inherently going to be stuck in your unconscious, your subconscious. Right. And so 
in order to contain something, you have to be able to bring it into your conscious awareness. Well, how do you do that for shit that happened before you could remember anything? For me, I find even as they get older, it's still, oh, fuck, you know, this is the pattern I'm in. Yeah. And and if you can't become consciously aware of that pattern and and of your memories, you're going to unconsciously probably keep replaying it until you do so. Mm, because it's completely just natural. Yeah. If it's in your subconscious, you're going to act it out. That's how mm. it will work, yeah. Yeah, and that's how you think people relate. Yeah, I think most people just act out their feelings and then they take for granted that what they do is okay because they were generally socialized well enough. And then they're like, well, why can't you just be like us? You know, why Why are you broken? You should just do the right thing like we do or whatever. And it's like, you were programmed the right way. We weren't. <laughs> like, Yeah, you had experiences that I didn't. Right, and they're not able to make the choices that they think they're making. Like, they don't really understand why they do what they do as well as they think. Yeah, you mean it's it's pre-programmed in them and they've got that to draw on. And yeah, someone, but they yeah. take credit for it, kind of narcissistically in a way. It's like it's like saying, you know, oh, I, I, it's because I'm so talented that I'm like this tall. And it's really, we've all just absorbed what we experience and we're just repeating it. Yeah, and it's, it's I guess it's like a just world fallacy. It's the idea that, Things happened the way that they did because um, people deserved what, you know, it's like, well, bad people, uh, kids who got abused, they probably deserved it because they were bad kids or whatever. And then it's like people that, you know, get abused, they deserved it because they were bad people or something um, or get killed or something. And uh, me, I'm a good person. That's why my life is good. Okay. Do you feel that about yourself that you experienced this because you were a bad person? I mean, uh, if you have a personality disorder, you have a deep wound somewhere that says you are a bad kid. Yeah. Even if you're a good kid. What doesn't matter? You have to believe you're a bad kid. Mm. Like you have to. Yeah, you feel it. it Yeah, you feel it. If you weren't a bad kid, why did it happen? Mm. That means you're helpless. That's way scarier. Yeah. And it means on some level your parents just didn't care. Or at least that's the surface, right? In what way? It's it's easy to say that they just didn't care, but almost certainly they did. But they might not have been conscious that they cared. They might not have been completely aware of why they did what they did, and they might have thought that they cared when what they were doing wasn't really caring. Um, it was just reenacting or stuff like Everyone cares. Nobody can completely not care. Um, What they can do, though, is dissociate from the fact that they care. Well, that's the thing about people with MPD is they usually don't show that they care. We don't even know sometimes. Oh. We say, I don't care. And it feels like we don't because caring hurts and it's scary and you that creates this feeling of envy when you care too much and it hurts. So you destroy the thing that you care about you split okay like how wait describe that whole thing in a situation Um, like okay so have this comic um where this person's trying to eat their ice cream and then their ice cream falls on the ground and somebody's like laughs at them and they're just like i I don't even care like uh so there's someone looking and laughing yeah and then they're like smiling with like tears in their eyes (laughs) <laughs> like trying to pretend they don't care. Like it's kind of like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, so it's not it's not what happened. It's that person looking at them that's caused that reaction. I mean, to be in a position of wanting something and not being able to get it, that's humiliating. Like it's it makes you feel weak. It makes you feel like undeserving and, and stuff. Like, why can't I have the thing that I want? If if you're punishing me, you're like withholding, like I'm just gonna act like I don't want it at all. I'm gonna mm-hmm. destroy the fact that I do want it. That way I don't have to experience this horrible envy. So did you get over that and how? Get over splitting? This pattern. Yeah, this pattern. Uh, no. I'm working <laughs> on it. Like, it's hard. Like, envy is hard. I don't know how to deal with envy. Yeah. Mm, me neither. Yeah, it's, um, I think most people don't. They They just get lucky. And they don't have to deal with the fact that they're reenacting, like, more terrible things, right? It's like, it's easy for people to look at somebody who does something, you know, horrifying to them from the outside and judge them on moral grounds and be like, well, they're just a bad person making bad decisions. But it's like that person never would have ever considered doing that thing that that person did. It just wouldn't have crossed their mind. Oh, you mean? Like a murderer, right? Yeah. It's like, well, that person's a bad person because they murdered. It's like, you know, we all know that murder is wrong. You're not supposed to do it. I don't do it. So why did that person? It's like, you never even came close to doing it. You were never going to come close to doing it. That's just not your like life. But the other person has had different experiences. Yes. And it's like, there's nothing like nobody's born wanting to murder, like necessarily. It's uh, an unbearable amount of pain that pushes you to actually want to kill. Yeah. It's just we don't want to have to feel that consciously. So it seems like we don't feel pain because we don't feel it consciously. But it has to be there. And you can tell that it's there because we're acting it out. Oh. So you, you're you aware that you have had times when you're feeling pain, but you're not actually feeling it. You're not experiencing it. I know from the fact that I've been violent. That I have a lot of pain. But you haven't felt impaired at the time? No, I, that's what drove me to violence, but I don't feel it most of the time because I'm trying, a lot of my life is organized around not feeling. Like I'm an addict. I, um, yeah, I just like kind of don't do things that make me feel bad. <laughs> like, What would those things be? You know, like uh, I, I'm not working right now. Um, I don't like to... Uh, have responsibilities um, in general. Mm-hmm. And these these are pressurized situations, so you're avoiding them, so you don't have that pain. Yeah, I mean, because I can't, I can't be responsible like currently. Um, it's just not something I can do. I can't, you know, like if I got a house plant, I would probably let it die. And all right, so yeah, it's like <laughs> I'm I'm a fuck up. And it's easy for somebody to look from their like general like place of comfort and like a fortunate like upbringing to be like, wow, you're just making bad decisions and you're a bad person. Right. And that makes it easy for them to not care about me is that mm. they just assume that the things are the way they are because of morality, which I, I don't really feel like morality is a legitimate like understanding for anything. Like I think everyone does what they do for very, very good reasons. And if you don't want to understand those reasons, it's easy for you to be like, well, that person's a bad person. And then you don't have to care about them anymore. 
Would uh, would you think though that maybe people have to switch off because we're surrounded by people who are suffering? I mean, yes, it's pretty hard to yeah look at people and then just see what distress they're in. I mean, if this this is a world where there's like war everywhere and like terrible like shit happens all the time. Like kids are growing up now with like videos of like mass shootings and uh, like just all types of like stuff that you can find on on the internet um it's it's a cruel world um it's a uh distressing world and it's a world with like we, we've built it around um making sure that parents absolutely cannot give children what they need um and we push parents to abuse their kids because we put a lot of pressure on parents to make their kids fall in line and perform so, so what do kids need then what what do you think they're not getting that they need I think kids need to be uh, treated as fundamental equals to adults in like every way. They they should have as many rights as adults have. They should be like it shouldn't be um it shouldn't be that kids can't drive because they're kids. It should be because they uh just can't do it yet. Like they don't have enough like experience doing certain things. Like it's like you have to kids should be able to go anywhere. I think um we should sort of make the world safe for kids. We shouldn't have kids be what's it called uh segregated into these like small little corners of societies and then everywhere else is like the adults like cool place where the kids aren't allowed you know like i don't know if you remember being a kid and remembering what it was like to be excluded from all the adult places but it it does suck what adult places were you excluded from um bars uh like certain movies um you couldn't go to work places with your parents generally um most workplaces yeah like and you personally what what did you feel excluded from every i couldn't go anywhere freely right like i would go freely where i would just wander off and run away and i would literally get picked up by the cops and returned home because i am you know i'm my mom's property oh so what were you hoping for when you left the house freedom were you hoping to meet other adults Um, I don't know what I was hoping for. I was just hoping to be able to do what I wanted, like more or less, like adults can do what they want. Um, it feels great to be an adult. I never want to have to be a kid again. Being a kid was terrible. So you felt very controlled. Absolutely. Yeah. In what way? Every way. I mean, like kids are, in in my opinion, they're the most disenfranchised group of people. Like, um, they're, they're just restricted, like, like a dog sort of is nowadays, you know, they're kept in a cage. And mm. you're learn to sort of do that with your soul, right? You're supposed to put your soul in a cage so that you can perform at school and you're not allowed to have the full range of emotions because if you get angry, that's bad. And uh, if you get too excited, that's bad too. Um, just like you're supposed to not have emotions. You're supposed to be obedient and docile and, and behave, you know, the way that the adults tell you to, even when the adults don't make sense, they're always right. Uh and the adults are allowed to get mad and just yell at you. And it's always your fault when that happens. And they never have to apologize. And they are allowed to assault you. And you just have to be okay with that because it was your fault and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it's uh, it's terrifying. And adults didn't make any sense. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized, oh, these people have no idea what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> They act like they know what they're doing and like they're so smart and like everything they do has like a good reason. No, they don't have any clue what they're fucking doing. Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, they're just afraid to admit when they're wrong because that'll, yeah, they're like, oh shit, then the kid will have to fight me on everything or something. Yeah, well, you want to hear something scary? 
Yeah, sure. Even when you get older, you still have no fucking idea. Well, I know that, yeah. <laughs> I keep waiting to grow up. Yeah, I think the whole world is like that, honestly. Like, I sort of figured that out. Like, nobody knows what they're doing. I really have to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, you should, you should do that. Like, it was cool talking. Yeah. We should do it again. Yeah, definitely. All right, then. Yeah, good night. Okay. See ya. Bye.